Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Are we there? Hey, okay, yeah, wonderful. That's fantastic. <laughs> You're just too efficient. You have too many uh, tech technical things available to you to make things more I complicated. I appreciate your charitable spin that you're putting on that. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that I just overcomplicate things. Uh, so, and maybe I'm getting old. God, you guys, is it possible? No, like, no. What do I do? Well at this point. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Again, I like your gracious uh, spin that you put on all this. Thanks. Thanks you two. You're one, you're wonderful humans. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, man. So, how are things going for you? You're in San Diego, correct? I am here in beautiful, albeit at the moment a little bit hot. It is hot for us. It's like 84 degrees, which is, you know, Uh, anything over 80. Stop your (laughs) complaining. I know. I know. I'm not sorry about it, but it is real for us once it gets into those 80s. We're like, whew, it's warm here. We're like... Normally, it's between 74 and 77 for most of the year. Oh, my God. That is just too perfect. (laughs) Heaven. Uh. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Colby Martin. Colby is passionate about helping people come more alive, about seeing us wake up to the truth about who we really are, loved children of God. Some of the ways he does this uh, is with his books, Unclobber and The Shift. He also co-pastors a church, Sojourn Grace Collective, with his wife and co-hosts a podcast with his wife, The Kate and Colby Show. They are raising their four sons together, ages 15, 14, 10, and 8. He was raised conservative Baptist and deconstructed for several years after leaving Bible college and now has reconstructed a sort of post-evangelical progressive Christianity. Colby, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Lauren and Adam Michael. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. Well, we're so glad to have you. Um, You know, with that bio, it just, it kind of leads me to a first question for you, which is, what is post-evangelical progressive Christianity? Oh, gosh. <laughs> what, is, what is it? Yeah. It, okay. So here's where, here's where I might start. Uh, well, after saying again, thanks for the invite. It's an honor to be here. I love your work. I love this podcast. I love the space that you are holding for people. Um, I, I love the way that you are allowing people to be seen and Mm -hmm. have some of their experiences and their journey normalized. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, I I just, yeah, I want to say thank you for what you do. And it's really, it's good to be here. It's good to be here with you. Love it. I love it. Uh, Okay. So what does, what are all those words for? Here's, here's maybe what I'll say to that. I find labels to be super helpful. Mm. Like labels are really, really helpful because they give us some sense of identity, some sense of like markers of boundaries of kind of where the thing that I call me exists in relation to other people or other parts of the world. So labels are really, really helpful for us sort of understanding uh, who we are right up until the point when they're not because there comes a point where labels are no longer helpful. So they, 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 you hit a point where they're now, in my, in my experience and my perspective, 
where labels become uh, restrictive. And rather than being sort of freeing you up to kind of know who you are in the world, they, they now sort of might even hold you back a bit. So I think labels are really, really helpful until they're not. At some point, I think we got to transcend them. But to sort of respond more directly to your question, what does this, what are these labels of post-evangelical and progressive Christian, what do these mean? Well, for me, it's kind of my way of trying to put some sort of markers in the ground or for your biblical audience to put some Ebenezer's in the ground, mm. be like, this is, this is right now where I kind of find myself in relation to not just my own story, my own past, my own present, my own potential future, but kind of in relation to where we're at, like laterally with other people in the world. So post evangelicals really, for me, it's my way of naming, Hey, guess what? I used to be <laughs> in this camp, mm. in this community that, um, you know, uses the term evangelical to describe itself. And of course, a lot of people might think different things about that, what that means, how to describe that. That's fine. We can get into that if that's interesting. But for me, it's just my way to say, whatever evangelical used to mean to me, mm. I'm now making a statement that I am I am beyond that in some way. And this isn't, this is where it gets tricky, right? And I bet you run into this all the time in this deconstruction conversation. This isn't about as like a superior I'm now better than I used to be. Right. Even even if we could argue that in some ways that is an appropriate way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. This this isn't like saying I am I'm better than. It's just saying I have I have evolved. I see even evolution is a tricky word. I have moved. I have changed. I have mm. shifted and I'm just sort of on the other side of where I used to be in that. Mm. Um I feel like I'm using a lot of words to respond to your question. But hey, Guys, welcome to me. Um, <laughs> Love it. My, my life motto is why use 10 words when 50 will do. <laughs> uh, and then progressive Christian is, again, another label that it's not perfect, but it gets us close. I'm just trying to say that in some ways of what it means to be a progressive person in 21st century America, I, I relate to that. And in some ways of what it means to be Christian I relate to that. Squish those two together and you've got progressive Christian. So I'm sorry, that was a lot. Why don't you say something now? <laughs> no, no, I love that. I, I think it's so interesting that you started describing uh, post-evangelical progressive Christianity with with your passion for boxes. Because I feel like I feel like so many people start into a process of deconstruction to shed boxes and and for you to come out straight out of the gate and say, that's, that's the primary thing that you like about being able to do that is so to me it feels so inclusive and it feels so and it feels so um, it, it really does put a stake in the ground saying that like look I, I I'm not I'm not colorblind I'm not I'm not trying to homogenize everything I'm trying to give you a place where you are allowed to create your own space where you're allowed to define what it is that that matters to you and who you are. It's, it's the same as, as um, our statement from, from the church that we attend here in Nashville, like who you are and who you love matters. It, it, it does matter. The, the, the pronoun that you choose is important for you in defining who you are. All of those kind of things, representation matters. Um, so I think it's really cool that you kind of address that head on rather than kind of falling into the same rhythm and pattern of people saying, well, it's, it's nothing, it's ambiguous, it's mm. open. It's because I think you leave space for that, but I love that you just kind of, kind of grab onto that. That's cool. And not to, not to like go straight into the Enneagram already, but, uh, <laughs> but why not? It's been 10 minutes. We've already, oh what, what have we been doing with our lives? I Let's know. get to it. Um, <laughs> But for me, like I, I also resonate with that because so I, I'm a five, as I think I mentioned to you in our last message over Instagram. I'm a five, and so I actually find comfort in labels because I can learn yes. them and yes. then I can explode them. Yep. <laughs> I can, yep. I can learn them. I can research them. I can gain all the knowledge that I want or desire to, and then I uh, disintegrate. Is that what's the word? To I, I go to eight. And then I like to destroy the boxes. <laughs> oh right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so I, so I definitely understand. I think that's a. I, I, I agree with Adam. I, I think it's interesting because, like you said, in a lot of deconstruction, um, uh, I guess experiences, people just want to throw labels out the window. And I like that you kind of are uh, reclaiming them a bit. 
Yeah, and and of course it makes so much sense, doesn't it? And by that I mean this this desire, this almost uh, need to obliterate the boxes or the labels that we have um, that we have attached ourselves to or or been trapped within. That 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 energy is intense, and and of course, like, it just it makes sense that when a person is maybe in the in the early stages or in the midst of you know, this this idea of deconstructing, that sort of posture and energy makes sense. Yes, of course, you would sort of evaluate these boxes that have that that you want to blow up, that you want to that you want to uh, no longer be defined by, and that makes sense because you have in some ways outgrown it. And so you're feeling, mm. if you just imagine yourself in a, an actual box, you know, for me, it might be a, a, a five foot 14 tall box, uh, you know, that, that is sort of, I've now reached the edges of that box. And so getting out of that feels great. And I'm like, man, that box was really, really holding me back. And I'm so glad. And I might have this real negative view of mm. the box that I felt so constricted by. And I just, I affirm that because that told, of course you would. Of course, you would have that energy of, man, I'm finally glad to be free of that, what you might even call oppressive box because mm. I was growing and it was keeping me from growing. Um, but I'm just, so my hope is that we can be kind to ourselves. And one act of loving ourselves is to love our past selves, mm. that past versions of ourselves that needed that box to grow in the first place. Yeah. Like we, we, we could not have grown to and eventually outgrow the box were it not for some, like you said, Lauren, and I love it, for the safety and the security of sort of knowing where the boundaries are. We mm. need that. And this is just part of, as I understand, the ongoing process of what it means to be a human is you're yeah. ever constantly just finding ourselves in new boxes and then outgrowing them and the new boxes not growing them. And I think the, I think this is my long way of saying, um, I'm grateful, Adam, that you pointed out that positive affirmation. And I want to respond by saying, and I entirely hold space for those who are still in the, mm. no, I just got done busting this box down. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have anything good to say about it. Like, what mm. are you talking about? It was holding me back. And I just want to say, yes, of course. And then hold on to that, put an asterisk there because <laughs> you might find yourselves five years from now being like, Ooh, I think I've now found myself in another box. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe that's okay. Cause I feel, I feel okay here yep. and maybe it's time to transcend. Mm. So it, it's, it's interesting to me too. So do you, do you feel like progressive Christianity, just kind of like getting into the literary sense of progressive, do you feel like there needs to be measurable growth? Because I feel like that's what giving things boxes could do would give you would give you, like you said, something to achieve, something to something to see around you, grow through, break down once it no longer serves you, and then move into something or create something that does. Does that feel like something that's necessary for progressive Christianity? Or do you think it can find a place to rest? I think it's both hand, uh, if you'll forgive me the indulgence of taking the easy out of your question. Uh, I think it's both hand. I think there are, and I talk about this a little bit in my uh, book, out titled The Shift. Like you mentioned, Lauren, the subtitle is Surviving and Thriving After Moving from Conservative to Progressive Christianity. So it's, in many ways, it's it's a survival guide for this process of becoming a progressive Christian. And early on, I do just a, a brief description for the reader of what I mean when I say progressive. And what I do is I list a couple of markers and I'm just saying, look, part of what it means to be, at least what it means to be progressive is that you are um, affirming of LGBTQ people. So in the in the faith community, uh, if you are just to put it black and white bluntly, if you are anti-LGBTQ, then you would not identify as a progressive. And if you are fully open and affirming of all queer identities, uh, then you are suddenly very much on the progressive side. Um, another marker, as I understand it, is an equality between uh, men and women. So the more you go towards the conservative end of the spectrum the more you're going to find things like complementarian theology, which just says that even though men and women are equal, men are like 51% and women are 49. <laughs> like men are just a little bit better than women. Mm -hmm. And then as you move towards the progressive end of the spectrum, there's this flattening of no, 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 no. Like all like in the image of God, God created them male and female, like mm -hmm. both hand, both hand. Mm -hmm. um, another marker is this, uh, uh, what I call a, Friendliness towards science. 
which is just to say that as all the sciences, be it uh, biology or sociology or uh, physics, whatever it is, as science reveals sort of truths about the world around us and truths about what it means to be human, that should play well with our, our faith and our spirituality. Like science is not our enemy mm. um, in some ways. And so the more you sort of embrace that, I think the more on the progressive end. And then finally, then to get around to your question, Adam, is I think part of, so those are all, I would say kind of like baseline markers mm. in, in many ways. So those are, those are kind of static uh, components to qualify in in my book, at least to qualify for what it means to be a quote progressive Christian. But then there's this other piece. Oh, I'm sorry. The fourth thing I add in my book is um, an awareness of, and a, uh, a need to dismantle white supremacy. So mm. you, you name it, you see it, and you're committed to, to, to uh, fighting against that. I'm glad so that was included. Like, I was going to yeah, ask. Yeah, so, no, thank <laughs> you. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, those I see as like static, uh, qualitative markers. But then as you asked your question, Adam, what was coming up for me was, but also for me to be a person who might identify with this progressive ethos, it means that you have an openness to the reality that life is constantly about transformation and evolution and growth. So you are, you are just aware that faith is not about a static arrival, but a dynamic growth. And so Part of what I think it means to identify as a progressive is to say that uh, there is there's no point in just creating a new set of beliefs or a new set of parameters that now this is what it means to be this because as we all grow and change that line is constantly going to need to move as well. So I think it's a both and. I think there are some things that yes, kind of baseline. If you want to call yourself a progressive, it means at least these things, and then also it's a posture, a posture of openness to change and growth and transformation. And so that is something that you can take with you for the rest of your life, regardless of what happens to some of your beliefs. Mm, yeah. I love that. Love that answer. You know, and I'm, I'm always interested um, in what, what pastors and faith leaders think of the future. You know, you're talking about your, the, the church sojourn church. Um, and so what, what is your take on, it can be about the progressive Christian church or sojourn specifically. What's your take on the church's future in relation to culture and society? How do you think the progressive church uh, or sojourn will grow? When, uh, when the coronavirus pandemic first kind of shut the world down, I was on a big conference call with maybe like 40 other progressive faith leaders who were leading churches similar to Sojourn or nonprofit orgs or just kind of in that space. And you know, one of the, uh, one of the individuals who at the time was, was leading a church similar to Grace Point, similar to Sojourn. Um, he was of the opinion that he wasn't sure that the church could survive this mm. quarantine, the shelter in place, this pandemic, this kind of, move to virtual. He wasn't sure that his own church could survive it. And then he wasn't sure even on a larger scale that as the world and our society continues to move in the direction it does, that there really will be any relevance relevance left for the local church. Mm. I really disagree. Um, I, and part of that is simply because I am, I find myself, well, maybe I shouldn't say I disagree. I guess I disagree with the question in some because I don't, I don't find myself real energized by prognosticating about the future. Like mm-hmm. I think some people, I think some people really enjoy that, and I think it's great. And I think uh, trying to anticipate and guess what will happen and predict, I think some people are, are are either good at it or they just really enjoy it. For me, I I really, I really don't find anything interesting about it because I just think there's so many unknowns. There's just so many unknowns that. I, for me, it's like, man, if I'm going to invest mental energy in something, <laughs> I'm going to invest it into like now and present. here and what's going on yeah, in the present. Um, so that's part of my response to your question, but it, it's not a real adequate response. Well, so I'll, I'll give you. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of, I mean, I get what, I get what you're saying. And I think what you were, you know, you're speaking on the kind of 
almost like the tenets of the progressive Christian faith, essentially. Um, and then also one of the things is just having that openness of growth and openness of just, um, yeah, just ex- expansion, really. And for me, I think more the direction of the question was um, something that I feel like the next step in kind of like progressive communities, progressive progressive Christian communities, um, is the integration of interfaith studies. Um, and I'm just kind of in my own life experiencing things. And I love studying religion in general. And um, even some things that you were saying sound very Unitarian or universalism um, and, you know, which we love and support. But, and so I guess I was just more asking, um, just uh, pressing more into that, like what is what do you think the next expansion um, yeah. within the yeah. progressive, I guess, community would be? Yeah, totally, totally. And it's, and it's a great question. I didn't. Uh, um, I think what I was trying to get at, and I failed at in my response, was just giving a disclaimer, which is to say, I really don't know. Which I know you know that I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. So whatever I say, just anybody take with a grain of salt because um, I just don't know. So. I think where I, why I would disagree with my friend who thinks that the church is just, you know, like rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think that whatever um, sort of, however you could describe the makeup of what happens at a, at a church on a Sunday morning, about an, about an hour's worth of gathering with singing and some liturgy and some prayers and maybe some fellowship, like whatever that model is. And of course, everybody tweaks it in their own way. That model more or less has survived for 2000 years. Mm. And to me, that's no small thing. Yeah. Now, now I'm not in the camp of like, well, that's because it's a divinely created establishment that of course it would. No, Mm -hmm. I don't actually think there's any guarantee that that sort of model would have succeeded and let alone lasted through multiple iterations of culture and geography for 2000 years. So I think it's, but, but I, my point is, is I think there's something really interesting there and I, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon because I Mm. think there's something about that practice. There's something about that rhythm that seems to have this almost, I don't know, physiological or metaphysical overlay with, human uh, and and human relations and community relations. I just don't think it's going away. I think it will constantly need to be edited and refined and um, adjusted. Um, But I don't think, I don't think church is going to die or end now more to your specifically to your question. um, Yes. I think if the church wants to have any sort of hope for having relevance um, which is a funny word to use, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Any hope of, of relevance in the future, then we're going to have to get our act together in all sorts of ways. Mm. So even though I, I think it will survive, it doesn't mean I think it will necessarily have a, it's not guaranteed to have a thriving future. Um, I just think it's survived this long. It's probably going to keep on surviving. And I love what you're saying, Lauren, about the the need for many of us in these really heavily Christian heritage spaces to begin to loosen our grip on this exclusive claim that we have thought we've had on what is true mm. and what is good and what is beautiful. Yeah. We do not own the market on that. We mm. never have. Yeah. It was never, it was never about that. Mm. And the more we can loosen our grip on that and understand, wow, the things that we find to be true and good and beautiful turns out, all sorts of other traditions and spiritualities mm. and religions have mm-hmm. found that as well. So yeah. to what extent can we, can we find harmony in that? Uh, and I think communities that figure out how to do that might have a greater chance to thrive in the, whatever the years to come. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so, I think it's, um, it's so important for us to be able to uh, like stop the discrediting of other people's spiritual experiences. I think if yes. we ever want to be taken seriously, that that Christianity has, or at least conservative Christianity, has kind of claimed ownership over God for as as long as I know, at least in the states. And 
it's so interesting because you get into these spaces where you get to revivals and you get to Pentecostal churches and you get to these spaces where all of these spiritual, magical, intense things happen to people. And, and there's a, there's a level of belief to that spirituality and that spiritual interacting with the physical world that, that is just inherently believed because it matches up with what they believe the Bible says. And Mm -hmm. because the Bible in the States is inherently true uh, it just kind of it, it just all kind of falls into line without question, which I think is why a lot of people have a lot of problems with people diving in and questioning the Bible. But I think that's beside the point at the moment. And I I find it hard to believe that there is a spiritual encounter that can happen within a person that is true that can be discredited by somebody else. Because who am I to say? The spiritual experience that I had moved me to be an entirely different person. But because you call that spiritual experience something else, I don't believe you. I Yours isn't true. You need saving. You need to move your belief system into something that's more in alignment with mine. I think, that's, I think that not only discredits conservative Christian faith, but I, I believe that that kind of mentality makes God so incredibly small. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I don't, I don't think that has, I don't think that has the capability of moving forward into the world with, like you said, relevance, which I know a lot of churches try to push back against relevant churches. But I think, I think it's important to, to use the trajectory of the Bible to map out the the actual application of the things that the Bible is talking about, but also understand the contextuality of the stories that are being told in it. And so I just I, I feel like I feel like there really is there really is so much room for Christianity to grow, but I, I I'm just interested what what was the what was the trajectory in your life that moved you from a space where you were living in conservative religion? spaces and move you to a place that you are now. Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I love I love what you said about the uh it's a sort of natural outcome of of uh, of a dynamic where one religion gets to have the corner on everything the outcome is that that's just a really really small god and of course it would be of course it would be um i, just, I appreciate that framing and one of the things that comes up for me when you say that and then also in response to your question is i a couple of years ago it just it, it dawned on me and I, I don't even remember the exact circumstances surrounding where this, where it came from, but it dawned on me, um, realized how, how and when, and even why, why is it that we have come to a point? And by we, I kind of mostly mean Western American Christians. How did we get to this point where we believe that the thing that God cares most about is what human beings believe? Mm. The, The thoughts that we, how did we, why do we imagine that the, the creator of the cosmos, that the ground of being, that the the great love that is in all and through all, that the thing that matters most to whatever that source being is, the thing that matters most is what you and I, the ideas that we have between our ears, like, why do we think that's mm. what matters most? I find that to be, I find that to be frustratingly arbitrary. <laughs> like I have, right. you know, I have four, I, I have four sons and never once in my raising of them and shepherding of their, uh, of their development. Never once in my parenting of them have I had the thought, you know, what's most important to me is that my sons know the truth about me and, and believe the correct things about mm. me. Like never once have I thought they really need, need to know what my job is. They really need to know what my hobbies are. They really need to know my height and my weight and my strength. Like they need to know, no, like what they believe about me is not the most important thing to me. And yet we have projected this idea upon the divine 
that what matters most, that the thing that we will be graded on and judged on in the end mm. are our beliefs. And I've, it's, it's really frustrating to me. Um, but then to answer your question, Adam, that was a hundred percent the system that I grew up in. So I grew up born and raised in a Baptist home. So very conservative, very fundamental theology. And yeah, the whole point, the whole point of life is to believe the right thing so that when you die, so that basically when you just get through this <laughs> temporary passing, like, isn't it a bummer? We all have to live this life. Like <laughs> once you get through this, you can then answer the question correctly. Gates of heaven. And that's mm. it. The point is to get, is to believe the right things. Hey. Um, yeah. And I, I, I almost said I bought that hook, line and sinker, but that that's not really fair to how the development works. It's not that I bought it. It's just that that's what was given to me. So of course right. I would. Right. At the same time that I was learning two plus two equals four, I was learning that God is a Trinity of God and spirit and Jesus. Like the same time that I was learning uh, photosynthesis, I was learning about the, you know, believe in Jesus' death on the cross for eternal salvation. So my brain, no human brain can, can hold, well, these facts that you're learning are math and science. So hold on to those in a special way. But these facts over here are sort of metaphysical. So just, you know, you don't have to believe them. No, of course, as a child, you're going to believe all of them in the bucket of your brain that's called truth. So of course, of course, you'll grow up and you'll just think all those things are true. Um, So that was 100% my experience. And I went to college and got a degree in pastoral ministry to study to become a pastor in this conservative Christian world. And I did it for a couple of years out of college. And then the turning point for me was um, reading a book by Brian McLaren called A New Kind of Christian. Mm. This would have been, oh, what, 2006, maybe? Uh, yeah. 2005, 2006. And I, I, um, and I got that book because I read an article from uh, Time Magazine on like 100 Most Influential People. And that year, Rob Bell, if you guys know Rob Bell, yes. <laughs> was listed as one of the most 100 influential people. And I think in his interview, he mentioned Brian McLaren or maybe mentioned this book. I'm like, huh, I've liked a couple NUMA videos. Maybe I'll check out this Brian <laughs> McLaren guy. Yeah. And then it, that just pulled the, th- that pulled the thread on everything. Every, just everything began to unravel as I discovered, whoa, you mean it's okay to ask questions? That's you amazing. mean it's okay to not have the answers for everything? You mean it's okay to just say, I don't know. You mean to tell me that all throughout the church history, there have been multiple ways to think about these different ideas? Like it was just, it was mind blowing to me to discover a world beyond this narrow Baptistic theology. Wow. We were just saying yesterday. Was that yesterday or today? I think that was yesterday. uh, Who knows? These days blend together at this point. (laughs) We were just saying that Rob Bell is like the Christian gateway drug. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. To like just expansion, just new uh, interpretations of Christianity and and God. So so you read that during your, when you were in Bible college? No, God, no, never would have been approved. I would have had to smuggle it onto campus. No, this <laughs> this would have been, I think, about a year, a year and a half or two after I graduated. And I was working as a, a pastor of worship and arts at a, a big conservative mega church in Oregon. Okay, so you had, your deconstruction started totally after Bible college then? Uh, yes, correct. Okay, got it. And okay, you said this 2005, 2006? Something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm um, trying to think. Would you have a kid by that point? Where are you married at this point? Yes. I'm do the math um, in my head. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I got married uh, when I was still in college. Um, so we were young. I was 21. She was 20. We're going to be celebrating uh, 17 years of marriage this awesome. month. So oh, awesome. yeah, yes. Yeah, made it. That's awesome. Did you have? Did you have a kid, your first kid then or no? We, at that point, we would have had either two kids or one and a half. Yeah, okay. It was, it was <laughs> Got it. Right about the time kid number two was around. So I, yeah, that was the beginning of my journey. And I would say deconstruction for me was about the next 10 years. Got it. A constant, slow, methodical, I use the analogy of a Jenga tower, like just taking out one block at a time, sort mm. of evaluating it, 
discovering, do I put this back on top, but maybe in a different way? Or do I leave this brick just totally off because it doesn't make sense? Right. Yeah, it was it was a probably eight to 10 year process before I before I would maybe describe myself as on the reconstruction path. Now. Right. <laughs> right. And so was was your wife going through like a similar deconstruction process? Mm, uh, no, not at that time. So that was, those were some complicated years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, sure. I remember, I remember we had um, moved to Arizona. We had just moved to Arizona. So this would have been 2007. And I just started working at a church there. And I don't remember what Kate and I were talking about, but I, I remember something I must have said sort of caused her to uh, panic. Uh, and I remember saying, she, she said something like, you need to just go in the house and figure out right now what you believe in and where you stand with God. Cause you're freaking me out a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, Cause that time I was just all sorts of, I don't know. And what about this? And what if that, and maybe mm. this, and just Frantic, all, you know, questioning total frantic. Yes. Questioning everything. And um, yeah. And it really, it, it freaked her out uh, for a bit because of course it did. Of course it would. Yeah. Like that's just, that's the normal response to someone who hasn't yet cracked the door open on that. Because if, if the most important thing to God is that we believe the right things, then when someone starts to question those beliefs, now their very being and standing with God is up for grabs. And that's a real scary thing. So of course people would be concerned and worried and anxious. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious then since this was kind of a long, I mean, it's an ever going process, but you know, you were talking about like a 10 year kind of, uh, deconstructing, reassessing, reevaluating. I'm curious if your children ever, ever noticed your change and if there was ever a moment where you saw how that change affected either one, them, um, and they, them pointing something out as kids do, or did it change the way that you, um, parented? Kate and I have tried to really be intentional to have our kids sort of experience religion and spirituality in as non um, we've, just, we've been really loose with that. And I, I don't know if that's the best decision. So part of it is like, are we just swinging the pendulum completely to the other side right. where Kate, Kate and I are both raised, you know, being in church multiple times a week and Bible studies at home and always prayer and all these expectations. And so maybe we're just swinging the pendulum out of a reaction. That could be it. But I I also think that there's some wisdom into, into what we're doing. I, I think, so I don't know to answer your question if I, if I can remember really any change because even when we were, pretty entrenched into evangelical Christianity. Um, we never really did much with our kids. Like, mm. like they came to church with us. Sure. And they went to Sunday school. I think if I recall, uh, but we weren't really that family that, that prayed at home or talked about stuff. Like we just kind of naturally weren't that. I, I don't even necessarily know why yeah. I put my finger on it. Although now we would have, we would be able to articulate that, because we want our kids to pick up, we just want them to have the fundamentals of what it means to be a decent human. Like, yeah. right. what does it mean to be kind and respectful? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to uh, advocate for the marginalized? And what does it mean to, uh, to fight for equality? Like, how do you love people who are different than you? Or how do you celebrate all? Like, those are the things that really matter the most to us. And then if they see within our Work or in our practices, particular religious elements that they find interesting and maybe later on want to incorporate. Great. If not, great. Like, yeah. like my oldest son is is pretty clear. He doesn't have any belief in God. In fact, we were playing a game with him uh, the other day. My wife and I were playing this uh, this uh, dice game with him, and I think I made some reference because Kate rolled something really that helped me out, and I'm like, "Oh, thank the Lord for that." And he's <laughs> like, <laughs> "He's like, well." He used the pronoun them. So he's like, well, if, if that's what, 
some people need them in their life or whatever in reference mm, to like, mm-hmm. thank the Lord. And my wife's like, I love that you used a, a non-gendered pronoun for your deity. Mm. Uh, and Z and my son's like, well, I just, you know, I don't have a deity, but if someone else does, they might as well have a non-gendered one. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that's awesome. That's such um, a, that's such an important thing. I mean, that, for both of us, that was a space where it really broke open a lot for us was to, to re pronoun God just mm-hmm. so that we could break out of that preconceived idea of what, you know, white bearded Nickelback singer up in the sky, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I I think our kids are picking up those messages as to whether or not they will grow up to identify as Christian. I just, I don't know. Like I said, that's prognosticating that I just would fail at even if I tried. So, but I do think they will be, uh, I, I do think they will be kind, gracious, benevolent. Um, I think they will be, they will treat women with respect. They will know how to love them. They have emotional, my, my sons have emotional intelligence light years beyond me. Like I've just five years ago in therapy started figuring things out that they are, they've been getting since they're two years old, Mm. like their, their capacity to navigate their own emotional landscape as mostly as a result of my wife's incredible work with them is unbelievable to me. And that matters to me so much more than that they would grow up to have any sort of particular religious. Belief. And, and and that's without the promise of eternal reward. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> just on the will to take care of other human beings on yeah. planet earth. Mm. That's super cool. I think that's beyond important for growth of us as, as a culture and as a society. Mm, well said. For for myself, um, just kind of like switching, you know, gears a little bit. I, being a Christian music artist back back in the day, um, I found that people in my communities had kind of this expectation of who I was based on a product or a song or who my band was at the time um, and in the world. And it was it was hard for me to kind of allow myself to be human in other people's eyes. You know, so you're you're a you're a father, you're a pastor, you're a podcaster, you're an author. Um, I imagine that you have sometimes maybe you've had a similar experience as any of those jobs or any of those, um, I guess, labels or hats that you wear. How do you navigate being, I guess, a pastor or being seen as a leader, a faith leader, um, to some? And then how do you how do you navigate being that and then also a human being? To others, a yeah, great question. Uh, in, in my first book, Unclobber, which half the book evaluates the ways in which the church has been wrong about using the Bible to justify discrimination against LGBTQ people, and then the other half deals or tells a little bit of my story as it relates to uh, becoming a, 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 a Christian pastor and theologian who's affirming of queer people. Um, Part of that story involves me being at a church, the church in Arizona, working there and realizing that my inside convictions were out of alignment with my external reality, which is to say I I had shifted pretty significantly on a number of theological points, including LGBTQ affirmation. And yet my external world, being a pastor in this Mm. conservative evangelical megachurch, absolutely did not have any space for me to move on anything like, or even talk about it or even ask questions about it. So, and that was a, that was a slow death for me Mm. to be Mm -hmm. that far out of alignment where your inner convictions are not matched up to your external reality. That is, that is painful. Um, And Lauren, so when I hear you talk about your experience there, I'm like, Oh, I can relate to that where you're, you're playing this role or whether it's a job or or whatever it is that you're doing, you're playing this role. And on the inside, you're like, yeah, but if y'all knew what was going on inside here, chances are you wouldn't, you wouldn't like me anymore. Mm. Um, and that is so painful. And it, of course I ended up, I ended up getting fired when they finally did discover yeah. my theology. So my fears were, were accurate. That, that, mm. that was the, the course that I was headed for. Um, so one of the things that have been incredibly important to me, Kate, when we started our church over six years ago, one of the things that's been, 
I don't know. I would say one of the top three most important things to us in um, starting Sojourn is that we would, from the get-go, do our best. We haven't always done a great job, but do our best of creating a culture within our church where the leaders, the pastors, are um, given the freedom and the space to change our minds, Mm. to ask questions, to disagree with each other. So the church knows that Kate and I disagree on things and and we say, you disagree with us and we're going to disagree with you. Um, Because I did not want to be in another space where suddenly I no longer believe certain things, but I couldn't talk about it. Like I Mm. just couldn't, I couldn't do that to myself. (laughs) You know, I couldn't create another system where that was the case. So it had to be this, um, Hey, listen at this church, uh, I I'm just going to be transparent and honest with you. And if there's some Sundays where I don't want to be here, I'm going to tell you guys, I don't really want to be here. It's my job and I'm here. So I'll, I'll do my best to show up, but it's hard for me. Or this Sunday, guys, I, I, I'm kind of over belief in God. I just want you to know, like I'll serve communion, mm-hmm. but today I'm just not feeling it. Yeah. Um, so all those sorts of uh, that culture that we've tried to create so that we don't find ourselves in another situation where we are totally out of alignment between our external world and our internal Mm, mm, I love that. Do you find that the the community at Sojourn is primarily um, deconstructed or are they more like an interfaith community? Um, just because I, I guess I ask because, you know, you know, we attend Grace Point and mm-hmm. um, we work with Grace Point and uh, it, as I'm sure, you know, it was an evangelical church. And so a lot of the, the, the background and the history and the traumas are come from being that and being a white space um, and having to navigate and work through the history. Um, and so that in and of itself makes it's kind of part of the bloodline of the church, you know, cause you can't, you can't erase history. You can't erase what has happened or where things came from. So that, that is part of the church. So that just to give you kind of a, understanding why or how how that I'm curious about, you know, who the people and who the community are and just, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm very curious. I, I kind of am too, to be honest with you. I'm, kind yeah. of, I'm also curious about the makeup of Sojourn. I have some, I have some conjecture. Yeah. Um, but in, in many ways, I, I'm like, I don't really know. Mm. I don't really, I don't really know if we were to do a survey and ask people to sort of self-identify where they might, you know, to go back to our first conversation, what label they might give to themselves. Sure. Um, I don't know what that would turn up. My my hunch is that it would be pretty evenly spread mm. across a number of categories. Um, and maybe the category Christian might even be the the minority. Maybe. I don't mm. I don't know. Um uh, my hunch is if people found a spiritual but not religious box, they would really like that. Yeah. Um, if they found like uh, an agnostic box, they would they would enjoy that. Yeah. Um, post post Christian, I can imagine a lot of people picking that, even though it doesn't really say much. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it it's like, says you're not Christian. It's just you're not. Yeah. Um, so I I I don't know. I, yeah. I know that we have. One of our early slogans, we don't really use it anymore, but one of our early slogans for the church was um, un- uniquely Christian, but not exclusively, which is just to say that like our practices and the way that we sort of organize ourselves is going to look and feel like the heritage of Christianity. So oh. uniquely that, but not exclusively. So we yeah. don't have any statements of faith. We don't have any doctrine expectations. Um, we just... That we just really don't. So yeah. we're we're not exclusively Christian. So I don't know. That's it. Yeah. I, yeah. And Sorry, I, think I know that was that. a yeah. it was a kind of a random question, but I just oh from god, looking, that was a great question. <laughs> from looking afar, I just yeah. I'm you know other everyone's looking at churches online right now. So um, totally. I think those sort of things and kind of getting a scope of where the church came from. Cause honestly, from even from this conversation, I learned that you started the church. I didn't, that's why I asked the question too, because I, I wasn't aware that it wasn't. It wasn't a church before a church it was before. Sojourn. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So yeah. very cool. Very cool. Well, I mean, I look forward to um, keeping in the, 
keeping in the loop and the know of what's going on at Sojourn and your podcast, of course. So um, just while we're kind of wrapping up here, why don't you just give us a, give yourself a little shout out uh, how people can find you and um, yeah, kind of what you are working on. I love it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now is that I did just, uh, I mentioned it earlier, so forgive the repeat here, but I did just recently uh, put out uh, my second book and it came out the week, it's going to get dark for a second, it came out the week of the most deaths related to COVID-19 in America. Oh, wow. So not good timing. Not good timing. Yeah. Um, and obviously all the caveats and rejoinders about how of all the problems mm. that this is very far down the totem pole. And yet when you pour yourself into a project for multiple years oh, and yeah. you spend all this time and resources and then you go to launch it and like nobody cares because mm. the world is falling apart. Um, that was rough. So yeah. I was even going to, I was going to be out at your church, uh, I think oh. in May as part of, part of the book tour. So that was one of the Aww. many things that got canceled. Um, so that, you know, if people, people are interested in, um, in this, in, in a resource that would help them kind of navigate, it's not about what it means to be a progressive Christian. And it's not even about deconstruction. Mm. Uh, it's really about that liminal space, that in-between space, that, what do you do when you when you're moving away from something more conservative and mm. towards something more progressive? What do you do, for instance, when you have conservative friends and family that think you have lost it? What yeah. do you do with when you the idea of God stops making sense? What do you mm. do when you're like, I don't really know wow. what I think about Jesus anymore? Um, mm. I got a chapter in there on the Bible, a chapter about the church. That 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 chapter is called um, "I Can't Stand Church." Dot dot dot. Do you know where I can find one? Because we have this. <laughs> We've we all done that. Love hate. Yes, right. We love hate. Um, I've got chapters in there about what do you do when you when you reflect on previous versions of yourself and you're mortified. How did I, how could I have used to believe that or mm. think that or treat people like that? Like how do we develop grace and compassion for our past selves? So. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm really proud of the book and I'm hoping that uh, people will check it out. Again, sure. that's called The Shift. And you the can sh- find all of that at colbymartinonline.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm really glad that you kind of gave that um, kind of that summary because our listeners would be very interested because a lot of them are kind of in that place. Um, ah. So I'm, I'll am i be very happy to pass on that the links and all the information for that um, because I get asked for resources all the time. Yeah. I mean, Um, people are so scared of dying in the in-between, right? That's mm, kind of the fear that we are told to fear all the time in in conservative Christianity. Well, it was, well, just, you know, get your, get your fire escape plan because Mm -hmm. you don't want to die without one. Right. So having like a tangible book, I think will be very helpful uh, to a lot of people. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for all the, emotional labor and hard work you put into that. And yeah, I'm very sorry it happened. You know, the release happens when it did. And that's you, there's been a lot of authors that that has kind of happened to in this year. And um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very sorry for that, but I'll, I'll de- we'll definitely help out if as much as we can in that area. Um, and then also uh, people can find you. Um, is it okay if they follow you on your Instagram? Yes, please. Instagram's great. Uh, I, a special shout out to my mom who came up with the name Colby because there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of Colby Martins out there, and so I was fortunate enough to get the Twitter and the Instagram handle just at Colby Martin. Wow, there you go. I don't the, I don't need special emails. characters. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Um, well, yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. I know the listeners oh, are just going to be. So happy to hear your story and to follow up with you and uh, follow your stuff and hopefully get your book. So thank you guys for listening. It's been a delight. And until next time. bye. Bye.